0: The last two Wednesdays, we just looked at the the concept of idols, keeping ourselves from idols, and we're going to look at this here and look at a couple scriptures. Anybody ever been to a a monastery? Anybody ever... um, what kind? Well, Catholic monastery. Yeah, it was like up in Utah. Up in Utah? Anybody ever been to a Buddhist? Anybody been to a Buddhist monastery? Okay, Hawaii. A of no, Hawaii? Yeah. Deb, I think Deb was at that one too. Kind of creepy, huh? Yeah. Anybody else ever seen been to a place where there was a lot of visible idols? Half-mile, that's right, that's right. It's true, it's true. I See, I grew up in a Baptist church for the most part. We didn't go all the time. I'd never been in a Catholic church in all my life until I was in college. And I visited, the first one I went in was the Church on the Rock in Sedona. Anybody ever been to that? And that's really just a tourist thing. And and I thought, this place is weird, you know. And And then I went my... I went south of Tucson to San Xavier, I think it's called, Mission. I think it's like the oldest church, you know, in, the, in Arizona, a Catholic church. It was a mission. When I went in there, I was like, what's with all the I, – I didn't know. I was like, what's with all the pictures and statues? And, and there was somebody – I don't know if it was a replica of the, the Catholic uh, missionary himself under glass – and I was like, people are fascinated with these objects and pictures and statues and stuff. And I knew about it. I read about it as a non-Catholic, you know, that people would, and you know, the, the icons and the statues and all the different things that they would f- fixate on. And then to go in and see that, I'm like, people really do get fixated on um, basically idols, Mary Jesus, or apparently their rendition of Jesus, or in a saint, and a relic, and people get fixated on idols. Well, you don't have to be Catholic to, have, to be an idolater. Uh, we could be fixated on other sets of idols, and that's what we're basically trying to take heed against as we look at this Bible study here. Um, 1 John 5, 20 and 21, let's just read this and we'll consider a few thoughts from these verses. And we'll consider a couple other passages. Notice 1 John 5 20 and 21, the end of the book. Verse 20 And we know that the Son of God is come and hath given us an understanding that we may know him that is true. And we are in him that is true, even in his Son. Jesus Christ. This is the true God and eternal life. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. Amen. The the second to the last verse there, we're reminded that Jesus Christ came to give us an understanding of God. We know God best through his word and through God in the flesh. He's true. We're in Him that is true, and He said, "You know, this is the, this." Is, it says we are, and we are in Him that is true, even in His Son Jesus Christ. And then He says, "This is the true God and eternal life," saying Jesus is God also. And then, in contrast to what's true, in contrast to the true God, are other things that could become a god. That would be an idol, something that's dominating my attention my thoughts, my trust that makes something that becomes a focus of my trust would be an idol. If it's not God, it would be an idol. Um, and so it, it, the, this this verse here, he's saying, keep yourselves from anything except that which is the true God. And also... Um, we are called to fellowship of the true god so if i'm focused on something else it's just wrap, my life is wrapped up in whatever it is a sport a person a hobby the money my my inordinate um occupation with my occupation that would be be a god and that would be like an idol and so this is written to us this is written to people who were in a church in regular gospel churches, that we could be prone to idols. Ask yourself, do I have any idols in my life? Do I have any idols? Like, Pastor, I don't have any pictures of Mary or statues. I don't have any Buddhas around. I don't have any, you know, lucky rabbit's feet that I depend on. But we can't have other types. And so that's what I'm saying, and I'm just trying to echo what John's telling us. Keep yourselves from that which is not true. How many of us try to avoid artificial colors and flavors? Come on. Every now and then, I'm like, I look at, you know, I, I do, I, I'm, not, I'm not health crazy. I'm really not. I probably should be. But usually, if I see something, if I, there's like three boxes of something, of say the crackers and they're flavored to certain, maybe the cheese crackers, and one of them says artificial flavoring, I'll usually say, okay, I'll pick the one that's real. In fact, when it, if it ever says made with real cheese, they should not be, it should go without saying. That, I don't even think they should be saying that. It's like made with real cheese. Like, isn't that what it's supposed to be made with, you know? Cheez-Its? I mean, come on. Okay. So anyway, so I'll usually pick the natural flavoring stuff, you know, not artificial. But occasionally, I'm like, man, that bubble, that grape flavored stuff, that's just so good. I got to try it. I know it's artificial. But most of us, we try to avoid artificial flavors, artificial colors, right? We're trying to avoid that which is not real, that which is not true. (laughs) And that's what John's saying. Keep yourselves from that which is false. A false uh, object of trust is an idol. A false notion of God is an idol. False thoughts about God that you are depending on or counting on would be an idol. You might as well carve something out and bow down to it. Remind you again, Exodus 20, verse 3 and 4, shall have no other gods before us. God says, thou shalt have no other gods before thee. And then he says, you shall not make unto thee any graven image. That's commandment 1 and 2. Remember we looked at 2 Kings 18, verses 1 to 4. In the days of Hezekiah, I don't know how many years removed Hezekiah was from Moses, but in the days of Hezekiah, the children of Israel went a whoring after that brazen serpent. They, in in in, Hezekiah, break it in pieces and called it Nahustan. That's a piece of brass. And told showed them that it was futile. Look in First Thessalonians one nine. And again. Uh, We mentioned this, I think, last week, but Paul is commenting on and complimenting the Thessalonians on when they first came to Christ. And he said it was a contrast. He said, 1 Thessalonians 1.9, For they themselves, that is, other churches, other Christians, show of us what manner of entering in we had unto you, and how you, how ye turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for a son from heaven. There's a com- comment on the early church, this church turning to God from idols. There's a person that I met recently and I didn't get to talk to them much. It was a little... Um, Interesting, but they said I, I go to a Catholic church, but I'm a Christian. They had kind of very strong kind of as I got to talking to this person, very charismatic flavor to their Catholicism, but they professed to be trusting Christ. And um, I thought, of course, I had a lot of questions I'd like to ask you. You know, if you've really been saved, and one of them would be, do you pray to Mary? Uh, do you you know pray to the statues? or to the saints. Let's give some examples. I'm going to walk through some examples. We've set examples of what an idol is. Let's just talk about some examples. Again, anything that takes God's place in my thought, in my trust, in my dependence. Here's some examples, and then I'll ask you again. A sport can be an idol, right? You know what I realize? A holiday can be an idol. How many of you know what I'm talking about? A holiday can be an idol where it's like, hey, I, um, where it's like somebody's, you know, some certain holiday comes up and forget God, I'm, I do this all the time. I do this thing every such and such day. I do this to the neglect of God. Holidays can be an idol. Look in 2 Timothy 3, verse 4, I think it can be implied that uh, entertainment or Pleasures can be an idol. Second Timothy three verse four talks about descriptions of perilous times, and one of them where it says second in Second Timothy three four it says that men shall be traitors and heady, high-minded, and then it says this, Second Timothy three four lovers of pleasure more lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God. Now the there's nothing wrong with the word pleasure or pleasures. At thy right hand are pleasures forevermore. Um, things that are pleasing, things that are pleasant are pleasures. But here, it says that um, some will get to where they love pleasures more than they love God, and if I love pleasures more than I love God, then pleasures become my idol. If I love my entertainment more than I love God, and it's, it's occupying my mind much more than my thoughts of God, certainly my entertainment is an idol. I'm a lover of my pleasures more than a lover of God. Like, is it, couldn't that be an idol? Our pleasures? Do you think we have more pleasures to choose from in the United States today or less? Much more. Many more. So we have to watch out for that. How about this one? Go to Acts chapter 12, and we're going to see how a celebrity can be an idol. You can have a bad celebrity, you can have a good celebrity, and each of those could be an idol. I saw two passages in Acts about that. Acts chapter 12, first of all, where you see this, this first guy's bad. He's not good. He's not... Herod, nah. But look what happened when he was looked at as a god. Acts chapter 12, 20 to 23. And Herod was highly displeased with them of Tyre and Sidon because they came with one accord to him and having made Blastus, the king's chamberlain, their friend, desired peace because their country was nourished by the king's country. And upon a set day, again we're in Acts 12 verse 21, upon a set day Herod arrayed in a royal apparel, sat upon his throne and made an oration unto them. So this is a big old pomp here going on. He's looking good. He's sounding good. Royal apparel. He's got a good scenery. And notice the reaction of the crowd, verse 22. And the people gave a shout saying, it is the voice of a God and not of a man. They are just so enthralled. I don't know if they're flattering him. I don't know the whole, but they're, oh, Herod, he's a God. People are starting to say that about superstars nowadays. He's godlike. Oh, don't say that. They said, it's a voice of a God, not of a man. And, And maybe Herod was enjoying it just for a split second. And look what happened. Verse 23. And immediately the angel of the Lord smote him because he gave not God the glory. And he was eaten of worms and gave up the ghost. I mean, this is like a scene in some movie here, right? You know? Um, Indiana Jones or something. I don't know. Oh, that's not a God. That's a corpse. You know, eating of worms right in front of him. People are making an idol of this guy. He's bad. The Herods weren't, hardly any of them that I know of were good. People can make an idol of a good person. Lotus in Acts chapter 14. Here's a, this is Paul and Barnabas. Uh, they they tried to, they fought it off though. They, they realized this wasn't right. Paul and Barnabas early in the first missionary journey in Acts 14. They're going and they're traveling here and there into Gentile territory, into territory of people who have idols and, and who have multiplicity of gods and who worship the stars and animals and, and rocks and things and, and even men who seem strong. And that's where Paul and Barnabas are and they're, and they're preaching here and there. And notice in Acts 14, They get worshipped, and they weren't asking for it, and they stopped it as soon as they could. We're going to read these verses, Acts 14, verse 8. And there sat a certain man at Lystra, impotent in his feet, being a cripple from his mother's womb, who never had walked. The same heard Paul speak, who steadfastly beholding him and perceiving that he had faith to be healed, said with a loud voice, "Stand Stand upright on thy feet. And he leaped and walked. So Paul heals this guy. In this Gentile territory here, here. God gave him that power to heal this man. Consider that right there. And now notice the response, verse 11. And when the people saw what Paul had done, they lifted up their voices saying, in the speech of the Lycaonia, "The gods are come down to us in the likeness of men." And they called Barnabas Jupiter and Paul Mercurius, Mercurius, because he was the chief speaker. Then the priest of Jupiter, I'm sure he lived on earth, but they called him the priest of Jupiter, which was before their city brought oxen and garlands unto the gates and would have done sacrifice with the people. So here they are, Paul heals this guy who couldn't walk and they're like, whoa, the gods finally visited us and they're about ready to fix and to do sacrifice and all their, their little routine that they would normally do in their idol worship. And um, the priest of Jupiter comes out, and he's got all these garlands. And, and notice what it's, notice how Paul, Paul and Barnabas weren't like, yeah, that's right. No, they didn't do that. They stopped it right quick. Verse 14, when the apostles, which when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard of, they rent their clothes and ran in among the people, crying out, saying, Sirs, why do ye these things? We also are men of like passions with you and preach unto you that you should turn from these vanities. Unto the living God, which made heaven and earth and the sea and all things that are therein, who in times past suffered all nations to walk in their own ways. Nevertheless, he, hath, he left us not without witness in that he did good and gave us rain from heaven and fruitful seasons, filling our hearts with food and gladness. Notice verse 18. And with these sayings, sayings scarce restrained they the people, but that they had not done sacrifice unto them. You see what's happening? Two good men. And a wrong response, they're gods. So good people can become an idol. Um, I've seen that happen in in certain people, in certain preachers, and certain in people in Christianity, where they become such a focus and basically like an idol to other Christians. I've seen. There's a guy that comes to my mind right now. Many, 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 many pastors would were following him and. I believe he committed immorality, and a lot of them that followed him very tenaciously never, never, they let that blind their loyalty to him. And they usually followed in some of his paths. But you can let a good person become an idol. So they so support, holiday, entertainment, celebrity, and this I'm gonna walk through a few others and we'll try to wind this down. An inordinate preoccupation with our own appearance. Anything we get inordinately preoccupied with can become an idol, right? The world's approval can be an idol. The world can become my idol. Paul said, if I seek to please men, I'm no longer the servant of Christ. Friendship with the world means enmity with God, James says. A career or friends or another relationship or just visible idols, visible things. There's no, you know, if you want a picture of something from the Bible, okay, okay, Or if you have a cross, okay, but you're not extra blessed for having that, right? We don't even know what Jesus looked like anyways. You're not extra blessed for having I mean, the Mormons have really nice looking, good European looking Jesus, right? He's more brown than probably what we think, but, you know, that doesn't give us any any advantage there right so we must keep ourselves from idols so what do i do then by contrast i need to keep myself in prayer to the true god i need my keep myself looking to the true god that i know through the word and through his son jesus christ i need to keep myself worshiping him i need to keep myself thinking of him i need to keep myself in love with him praising him all those things and that will help keep me from idols right I was reading about um, this guy. I didn't know about him until I started reading about some things about this person, this uh, a good, apparently a famous conductor that I didn't know about yet, named Arturo Toscanini. Arturo Toscanini. He conducted, I read a, a, about an incident where he conducted Beethoven's Ninth Symphony. And he did the whole deal through this crowd, and it was amazing, apparently, as it crescendoed toward the end, and it was finished. The crowd stood and gave him a strong ovation. He was excited. The orchestra was excited. It was breathtaking. Um, they stood and clapped and whistled and clapped and whistled and on and on, and, and he bowed, and the orchestra stood, and they bowed and a couple times, and they were happy. And then when everything calmed down, I read that he, he turned around, he was so excited, it was, not for himself, but he was so excited, he turned around and he looked at his orchestra intensely, and he said, I am nothing to his orchestra. He goes, you are nothing. And then he said, but Beethoven, Beethoven, he is everything, everything, everything. With such thrill and passion, he said that. And I thought, you know, we really, we need to have that mentality about the Lord Jesus Christ. Really, we should. The Bible says Christ is all. He's everything. He's everything. We're nothing. The world's nothing. Everything that we might fancy ourselves with, yeah, we can use. We use the world, you know. But if we worship it, it's nothing, really. The things of the world are going to pass away. But Christ is everything. And He's our reason to uh, constantly... Look to him and not to idols."